You are listening to a Sunday morning message from River Corner Church. River Corner Church is a growing church community of everyday people who gather to worship God, follow Jesus, and journey through life together. You are invited to gather with us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. If you have any questions about something you heard in this message, or if you want to learn more about our growing church community, visit us online at rivercornerchurch.com. Last week is a follow-up to what Jeff was speaking about. He was speaking about the Holy Spirit. Um, and to kind of go along with our verse for the year. And I'm going to, t- to add a little bit to that uh, to help dovetail a uh, message with that. And this is more about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit's ministry of revealing Jesus to us and inspiring faith. Usually we think of faith as being something that's internal to us, like it's my faith, my belief in God, and all of that, but a lot of t- in the Bible, it's more so the Spirit ignites faith, and, it, and, faith, and our faith is our response to what the Holy Spirit's doing in us. So, one view, it's like faith is this magical potion I got to just whip up into a frenzy so I can believe God. But honest biblical faith is almost admitting, God, I have trouble believing you. Help me, Holy Spirit, please help me to believe you. So. The posture is different because our faith isn't independent of God. God inspires faith, he sustains faith, and he creates faith in us and feeds that. So that's one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit that sometimes we don't talk about as much. Sometimes we think of the Spirit as being like this nebulous sort of being, like, like the force on Star Wars or something, like just some kind of impersonal thing. And he's not. He's a person. And he inhabits the heart of all who believe in Christ. So we're going to take a look right now. At John 16, verse 12 through 15. And I brought my old school NIV Bible, so I'm uh, trekking with everybody. I had the habit sometimes of bringing an ESV, which wasn't really syncing up. So I apologize. I've amended my ways. I've repented, and I brought the NIV to, to the church. So, so John 16, verse 12 through 15 in the NIV. And, and, to, and backing this up to form context, this is... Uh, the last night Jesus was with the disciples before he gets crucified. So he's instructing them and, and encouraging them and talking about what's going to happen next. And a lot of that's about the, this Holy Spirit uh, coming and moving. So verse uh, 12 of chapter 16 of John. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Uh, In another translation, uh, verse 13 to 14 says along with that, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears he will speak. He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So in this text, we see the ministry of the Spirit working and moving in the disciples. The Spirit, if we notice, he's not about himself. He is concerned with Jesus and and, and emphasizing and glorifying and promoting Jesus. He's not interested in himself. And that's one of the key ministries of the Spirit. So the Spirit is very much concerned about our faith in Jesus. He, He takes ownership of that. He's not complacent with that. He's at work in us, helping us and uh, helping us grow closer to Christ through his ministry. Because we often think faith originates in us. So uh, one of the propositions is that the Holy Spirit leads us to Jesus. 
and that's what he does. It's, we kind of come to faith in our culture like faith is like a diving board we got to leap off into some kind of nebulous belief. You know, it's like our faith is like just kind of diving off and hopefully God catches us when we dive off the board. That's not what biblical faith is. It's like it's an experience of knowing Christ today, of knowing the power of the Spirit. So when we do leap off, it's, we're, we're falling into the hands of someone that loves us. Isn't it some nebulous idea? Our culture, if we notice, is very nihilistic. Like to them, when you dive off the board, there's nothing that's going to catch you. You're just going to fall forever. That's what, that's what our culture kind of believes de facto. But the Bible has a different picture. We fall into the hands of a loving God who cares about us. Uh, and so with the Holy Spirit, a lot of symbolism involved with him is fire. It's a symbol for the Spirit. It's for a reason. Fire ignites faith. Fire consumes obstacles to faith. And fire gives light and life to faith. And that's a part of the ministry of the Spirit. So to us as human beings, fire is kind of a scary, kind of primal thing. But it's meant to be a good thing. Because he ignites our faith. He, he sparks an experience with the risen Christ in us. Uh, it consumes these, these intellectual and, and emotional obstacles we have to moving closer to Christ. And, it gives, and his, his fire gives light and life to faith. It guides us, it pursues us, it shepherds us. So we're not meant to just be alone, drifting in the world, hoping we can believe in Christ. Christ is very involved in our belief in Christ. Does that make sense? So he's, he's in this with us. And any kind of message of, that the Spirit gives us, any, any teacher, any, any ministry, whatever, it's about the same Spirit. The Spirit's ministry is, a guide and, is, is, is about being a guide and teacher about Jesus, when teachers partner with the Spirit in their gifting, like when they teach the scriptures or whatever, we shouldn't come away with it uh, being in awe of the teacher because the focus is about the Spirit. So it's kind of like this. Like if Anne and I go to some fancy museum, say in France, we go to the Louvre. I don't know if I'm saying it right. I can't speak French. But say we go to some, some museum in, in France. And so the Mona Lisa's there. There's, there's Michelangelo's paintings, all this great stuff all around. And, and I'm like... And it's like, wow, wasn't that when we finally see it all and we, we take it all in and we're leaving? And Anna's like, wow, wasn't that great? We saw like the Mona Lisa, we saw Michelangelo, we saw blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, that's great. But did you notice the tour guide? That guy was awesome. That guy could explain everything so well. I mean, and I go on and on about this tour guide. And Anna's like, that's not the point. The point's the art. Didn't you notice the art? You know what I mean? It's like going to a movie theater and we're like, Anna and I spent 25 bucks on tickets and popcorn and soda and the whole thing. And we're coming out of the movie theater, and it's like, wasn't that a great movie? It was so moving and powerful. And I'm like, yeah, that's great, but did you notice the guy who turned the light switch off? Like, that guy did a really great job. I mean, the, that fading was so good, you know. But that's what we kind of do. We, we, if we're so enamored with a teacher or with a, a personality, we can sometimes miss the spirit. Because the point isn't, you know, me talking about the Spirit or Jeff talking about the Spirit or whatever. The point is the Spirit. You know, it's, it's, and so the ministry of the Spirit would always be the same about Christ. It's not like, wow, look how, how shiny and burny I am, you know, if that's the Holy Spirit talking. The Holy Spirit's not about it. He's, he's laser-focused on Jesus. Like, let's glorify Jesus because he's the point of the Scriptures. So any leader who, any personality that comes, because right now there's a lot of stuff being revealed in the global church about all sorts of treacherous things and terrible things going out under the scenes. But if we notice those ministries that are kind of being outed as being predatory, it's always revolved around some personality. 
You know, it's about some personal charisma and, and, and some guy drawing people to himself. And the focus has been taken off of Jesus. It's been taken off of the spirit. It's become about a personality. And I'm not saying to be paranoid and just hold every ministry up to some microscope and look for something, but we'll kind of know by the effects of what a leader is about long-term by what they do. And so if someone's all about their own ministry, their own brand, them looking good on social media, them having real nice shoes, or whatever, you know, it is, it's not wrong if they have bad shoes, but if the point is shifted from Jesus to a person, something's off. The ministry of the Spirit will always be about Jesus. It'll always be about the kingdom of God, and always be about redemption. Actually, we were, and I were watching last week about really doc, like a documentary on the BBC about this uh, leader in, in Nigeria that had this really big church, but under the scenes, behind the scenes, there was all this really bad stuff happening because there was a personality that kind of took over and ran this show and was about promoting this personality. Other Nigerian pastors warned the global church, hey, don't patronize this person, don't go here, and people still did it, and there's a lot of broken lives because of it. So in discerning the movement of the Spirit, any movement about the Spirit will, will always emphasize Jesus. It will always promote Jesus. It will always glorify Jesus. Any movement of the Spirit that doesn't do that, we kind of need to like, use our discernment a little bit and key in on it. So uh, let's turn to Acts 2, because we're going to examine uh, what God's doing in a group of people, the fulfillment of the promise of the Spirit and how the Spirit ignites faith in a group of people, not just in Jesus, but God's plan for human beings. We're going to go through this whole thing here a little bit. So Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native languages? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans, and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in their own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? So on the outset of Acts, the birth of the church, if we notice there is a group of people that are being filled with the Spirit. They're declaring the, the glory of God, the beauty of God, the wonders of God. So one of the things the Spirit does corporately when he moves in a body is to, is to declare corporately the goodness of God, the glory of God, the beauty of Jesus. Declaring the mighty works of God has to do with this. It's communicating the splendor of who God is in Jesus. And it's as if they are describing the beauty of the above uh, uh, above the above uh, story of the gospel, but empowered by the Spirit as they communicate and a sign and a wonder. There's a supernatural power in the communication of the Spirit. It humbles the proud and lifts up the humble. So we notice that just a common group of people from all different backgrounds and tribes and things that they could disagree on, different cultures, all these things, but we nice them together as the Spirit of God. And, and the Spirit is, the Greek word for Spirit, uh, 
is pneuma, which has to do with breath and wind. And so the spirit blowing and moving and propelling these people together, causing this commotion, causing these signs and wonders, but they're declaring the beauty of God and, and their languages and other languages. And it's, it's kind of, it, it's a little chaotic. So when people are walking by and they're seeing this, this is, I guess, up, outside somewhere, they're like, wow, are these people drunk? You know, it's only three in, the, three in the afternoon or whatever. Like, people don't understand what's happening, but God does, and God's in control of this. And it's about promoting unity in the spirit, all these different cultures coming together and being this new people made in the image of the Messiah together and declaring the glory of God, the beauty of God in a way they normally can't do. So there's a supernatural element to the power and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It isn't just, we, you know, we're going to, hey, we're just all going to get together and talk in different languages. Let's all get together, guys, and just make a big scene. It isn't, they're not making a big scene intentionally, but when the Holy Spirit shows up, sometimes that happens. Sometimes it'll, it'll go beyond what we understand rationally and get to our hearts and do something bigger than us. Because this is a sign to the whole world that now there's a new people in the Messiah and they're all together as one from these different backgrounds coming together. Um, in verse 13, some people mock and said, oh, they're just drunk, whatever. Uh, but if we notice, Peter gets up in, in verse 14 and explains to them what's happening. So the Holy Spirit doesn't just drop something on us without explaining it to us and, and trying to help us understand. It isn't just the Holy Spirit hits us with some club and then we're just sitting there watching birds go by. You know, he, he explains what's happening. So Peter gets up in verse uh, 14. He addresses the crowd. He's making sense of this, of this new thing that God's doing that people are seeing that they don't quite understand. So he gets up in verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven raise his voice and address the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you that live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. So, so this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women. I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man, was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him up from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. I'll stop right there. So when Peter is filled with the Spirit. He explains not just the supernatural nature of what just happened, what's occurring with everyone in the room, but he also is explaining the Scriptures, the story of Israel and the promise of the Messiah. So another ministry of the Spirit that ignites faith in us is opening the scriptures to us. Because if we try to approach the scriptures just with our minds, we're going to miss it. Because it's more than just facts that happen. It's more than just history. It's more than just wisdom. It's God encountering human beings and making himself known in Christ. That's the point of the scriptures. But we have to have that opened up to us by the Spirit. It's a living word. This isn't just a dead thing. It's not an artifact. It's a living thing. And one of the ministries of the Spirit is to make Jesus known to us through the scriptures. So Peter's getting up and he's preaching. So this is the first message of the church. 
is that you see all this stuff, and this is fulfilling, that there's going to be basically be this epoch. Joel talks about there's going to be you know, signs and wonders and all this stuff. Like, this is all happening right now. Like, there's a transition right now. The Messiah came, we killed him, but he rose again from the dead, and now he's forming a new people out of all the peoples of the earth that believe in him. And he's explaining this to them. And the Spirit is interpreting the text and reveals Jesus through it. And the majesty of Jesus is put forth to the crowd, because the focus is always on Jesus. If we notice, that's the key to the Spirit. It's always focused on Christ. And Peter's focus is on Christ. It's just like, it's this Jesus who we brutally murdered. He is risen again, and he's the Messiah, and he's king now. And he's enthroned above everything. Every name above every name is the name of Jesus now. And we're all witnesses of this. So this is what he's talking about. And we'll skip down to verse 32, Acts 2.32. Peter keeps going on with his message. God has raised this Jesus to life. We are witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you've crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And so Peter is going back to a, an old text, Psalm 110. And this text is kind of a mysterious thing to a lot of the Jews that lived at the time, because it's, because Yahweh is saying to David's Lord, sit at my right hand. So there's some weird mystery in this psalm. And this is one of the most quoted psalms in the New Testament, because there's a divine mystery here. Yahweh is the Old Testament word for God. It's God's proper name. People still don't know what the exact pronunciation is to this day because it got lost. But he's saying to David's Lord, because David wrote the psalm, sit at my right hand and I'll make your, your enemies a footstool for you. So David is seeing this vision, whatever this is, of the God of Israel, and next to the God of Israel is David's Lord. And the New, in the New Testament church is like, this Lord sitting next to the Father is the Son, this is the fulfillment of this mystery. And you guys are beginning to see, we're proclaiming this mystery to you in the power of the Holy Spirit. So does this make sense? This is what's happening in this text. And so you're going to see Psalm 10, Psalm 110 repeatedly referenced in the New Testament. Hopefully this kind of explains the background for this. But Peter's like, this is the fulfillment of this. He's both Lord and he's Messiah. He's sitting at the right hand of God the Father, and he is the true King of Israel. This man, Jesus. And he goes on, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. As a promise is for you, your children, and for all who are far off, for all who, whom the Lord God will call. So he's saying that this is, so Peter's saying essentially history is shifted now. We did things one way. The God of Israel did things one way. And now it's now been shifted and fulfilled. Like everything before Matthew in our Bible has been fulfilled in Jesus the Messiah. Now there's stuff that still has to come. But he's been forever enthroned above everything. He's a solution to all our problems. He's our God and our King. And now we follow him. And so... The Spirit empowered Peter to give this message. Because if we notice Peter's character before, he was angry, he was hot-tempered, he was very much human like all of us. You know, He wasn't very faithful. His faith failed all the time. He was trying to walk on the water and meet Jesus. He started to sink. Because he's like us. 
He's human. Like God doesn't pick people with halos. God picks human beings. And so Peter, by himself, wasn't a very good witness. But when the Holy Spirit filled Peter, he was a great witness because it wasn't just Peter in his own mind and his own stuff making this happen. The Spirit was blowing through him, you know, churning up this thing and moving through him. And the Holy Spirit empowered Peter's words. It empowers our intellects. It empowers our hearts to believe and to not just believe, but to proclaim it. So Peter went from just believing to proclaiming in this, in this moment. The Messiah is Jesus, and Jesus is still working and moving through this group of people you see right in front of you, because he moves now through the church. Like, we're his hands and feet now. So the message of Pentecost is this message that we're not orphans. God's with us. We're not alone. And the Spirit is the one who, who ignites faith and sustains faith. So the, a couple points about Acts 2. Uh, the fire of the Spirit... The fire of the Spirit encounters the human heart and provokes us to choose. So if we notice that later in Acts 2, he says, you know, there's a choice here, basically. You know, and this goes back to the Old Testament. Like in Deuteronomy, God says, like, I put before you life and death. Choose life that you may live. So there's always a choice. And in the early church, there was what we call the two-way teachings. There's a way of life. There's a way of death. This was like in, in the books, uh, in the same generation, uh, after the, well, after this generation after the apostles, there was a body of literature called the Apostolic Fathers. And there was a couple different books written, and this teaching of the two ways was really prominent in that early teaching. There's like, there's a way of life, there's a way of death. There's a way you've been living life, it doesn't really work if you notice. And there's, you know, it's a way of death, but there's also this way of life through the Messiah that's actually the way we're meant to live all along. We just forgot. And sin has corrupted us. So let's follow the Messiah and choose life. So basically, Peter is saying this. He's like, there's a way of death, there's a way of life. Let's choose life. And so the Holy Spirit's always going to provoke in us a choice. It's like, do we want intimacy with God? Do we want to experience God? Do we want to uh, apprehend our inheritance in God to know him? Because our faith isn't just an intellectual reflex. Our faith is a lived experience with Christ. So the Spirit always compels us to choose. And the Spirit is an eternal flame of love that always draws us. John of the Cross has called the Holy Spirit the living flame of love. And I agree with that. He's a living flame that's, that's in love with people, that wants to redeem people, wants to see people set free. And that's part of his ministry. And, the, and one last point, the Holy Spirit is a flame that also shows us where we're really at with life and in our brokenness. It isn't to beat us up or condemn us. Is to help us choose the way of life. And I can't choose a good choice if I don't see myself for who I really am. If I, don't, if I can't see my own brokenness and my own mess, I don't know, what a, you know how big of a problem I'm in. So the Holy Spirit is this light that shows you, like, this is what's really going on in your heart. This is what you're struggling with. You know, this is what's going on. And instead of being afraid, let's follow the, the Holy Spirit to where life is. Like, I will lead you to life. I will heal you. You know, Christ is our healer. So his ministry has to do with picking up all these pieces that are broken in us and gluing them back together with his power, with the blood of Christ. So we're not just these, these orphans adrift. We're sons and daughters now. And we're made in his image. And this is what gives us life. And the church can't become the church. It can't do what the church is meant to do without the spirit. And we have to reclaim that as Christians we're at different places in life, and a lot of us have encounters with God when we're younger. 
or whenever it was in life, and it's like it, those things can get lost as the years go on, and as life presses us and sometimes crushes us. We can forget about what the Lord's done in our lives. But I encourage us, if we ask him, he will show himself to us. He still does that. He still moves and, and, and shapes us with his power. Um, I'll, I'll leave with this quote, and, I'm, and I'll pray. This is from Thomas Merton. Uh, and this has to do with the ultimate point of this passage that Jesus fulfills the scriptures and gives us the spirit to make his life a living reality in us. That's kind of what Acts is about in application. But Thomas Merton says this, the essence of all faith is a submission of our judgment to the authority of someone else on whose word we accept as truth that is not intrinsically evident to our own minds. Supernatural faith is a belief in truths revealed by God on the testimony of God and because of the authority of God who reveals these truths to us. Thomas Merton. And I think that's one of the things that as we grow in Christ, as we, as we go down this path of life with him, we have to have him show us who he is sometimes. Um, our bread isn't our own bread that we make ourselves. The bread we eat comes from him. It always has and it always will. And I can't be a successful Christian without Christ, you know, without the power of the Spirit. And it's okay. All of us are really bad at being Christians. It's because of Christ that we can be good Christians, you know what I mean? It's by the power of the Spirit. So I'm going to pray, and if we feel, you know, if you feel any kind of, I'm going to give some space in this to, for us to talk to the Lord. If, there's some, if, we, if we feel like the Lord's shining a light on something in our hearts is broken, we need to give to him, give it to him. If the Lord wants to fill you, ask him to fill you. If, if you haven't experienced the power of the Spirit, ask him and he will. It doesn't have to be all spooky and weird. It's just that he's, he's good and he'll meet us where we're at. So let's give the Lord some space.